ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Hey everybody, we have a special guest today. Usually we're talking to racers and we're talking to someone in the in- environment in our world that has something to do with motorsports. This young lady, Kristen Banks, is debuting in her youthful podcast career and she's a broadcast expert. Well, going to be an expert at some point. Uh, we'll get into that on the show Kristen, thank you so much for spending some time with me here on ATV Talk. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited if to you talk with you. Me, if you would do me a favor and explain to everybody uh, just a little bit about who you are. Okay, so I was born and raised in Macon, Georgia, where my father was a professional ATV racer. I guess that's the title I should give him. But he also owned multiple racetracks. And right now he still owns a dealership. So I've grown up in the whole race world when I was little, basically born on a track. I actually, I think I rode a motorcycle the day I was brought home from the hospital. So (laughs) racing, I know that's like a huge redneck thing, but hey, I'm from Macon, Georgia. Um, so racing has always been kind of in the blood, I guess. Um, but I never got to see my dad in his prime. So I kind of am living through vicariously through stories, which I'm hoping you're going to tell me some good ones today. Um, I'm not going to have a whole lot of good ones because, um, he was just one of the, the, the group of racers that um, your dad was known as the toughest guy on the track. I mean, he could manhandle a quad to do things that none of the other guys could do because he was so big and so strong. And that was his asset was being able to ride those machines. And this is some of the time that I got to watch your dad and spend time, you know, being a fan was when they didn't have cool shocks, when they didn't have all the long arms and they didn't have all the cool modifications. It was just, a 
stockish machine with some exhaust pipes and motor work and and you had to deal with it um we're going to get you talking instead of me talking but one of my fondest memories was my brother was marty hart's mechanic mm-hmm. we were at Glen helen here in southern california and i don't even remember what the event was and uh your dad donnie everybody mm-hmm. donnie banks is her dad yeah. we didn't make that clear um went out and kicked everybody's butt in the first moto. And I'm, you know, and this is coming from a guy that thought, you know, the end all be all was Marty Hart. Right. And I'm like scratching my head going, bro, what, what's going on? You know, I'm asking my brother and Marty just goes, you know what? I just need to man up and ride it. He did. He went out and won the second moto, but I think Don, I think your dad ended up with the overall because he went one, two or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was, this, this is long before you were born. Way before I was even a thought. I think I kind of slowed him down from what I've heard. Or once I was born, I know that he thought, maybe thought a little bit more before he uh, got on the track. I feel like that's kind of a common theme these days, but I'm not sure. Well, when you listen to some of the stories, um, because back where you're from in Macon, your dad's an icon. Mm -hmm. I mean... His cycle shop is huge. Um, his reputation is even bigger. So you get to live the stories. Did it affect you growing up at all that your dad was Donnie Banks? I don't, I had no idea when I was younger. And if we're being completely honest, I really didn't know how big of a deal he was until this year. Um, so when I was younger growing up, Obviously, he's always told me I can do anything I want as long as I work my butt off for it. And growing up, the only difference I think I had as having a professional athlete or whatever you want to call him as a father is just like the work ethic that he instilled in me. But other than that, I didn't understand. I mean, I knew that he wasn't allowed to race, but when he turned 16, he bought a full wheeler and he went racing and he had his mindset on one thing he wanted to do. He wanted to be a world champion and he did it. And I knew that growing up, but other than that, I didn't have any kind of idea until probably like, honestly, middle school, high school, going to super crosses in Atlanta with him and just everyone stopping him and telling stories and like, Oh my gosh, Johnny Banks. And then I would always ask, who's that? Half the time he never knew who it was, but it was just cool. Like seeing people come up to him and tell stories and he can't walk more than five feet at like the Atlanta Supercross without people coming up to him. But I do want to tell you two stories from this year. So I did, you mentioned broadcast. I started um, kind of stepping my foot into the motocross broadcast world a little bit this year. And I, um, I did an event called Motocar Fight Club. Growing up, Jeremy McGrath it was my hero. Like, number two on motorcycles always. That's who I want. I wanted to be Jeremy McGrath. And I was about to interview him and he was with his daughter, Rowan. And he came up to me and was like, Oh my gosh, I just saw your dad in town. And I was telling Rowan how he used to be a badass on the track or whatever. And hearing someone like Jeremy McGrath say that, like my hero, that's when I was like, oh, shoot. 
So my dad could ride. And then also there's <laughs> one other story. Um, Ricky Carmichael, actually another like greatest of all times. He was on a podcast and someone sent it to me or my dad. And he basically said the same thing. Like, I think he was actually talking about my dad on three wheelers, which I don't even know much about how long he even raced those, but he was same thing was just talking about how my dad was a badass and animal on a three wheeler. And I was like, Oh, Ricky Carmichael and Jeremy Graff know who you are. Okay. I see you, Donnie. But other than that, like, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, I wasn't around. He didn't keep any of the, the trophies or the memorabilia or anything. He had some stuff at the shop. Um, I have seen a magazine that I was in and I actually read an excerpt from the magazine and his nickname was the bulldog, I guess, or in the magazine, they called him the bulldog. And I mean, some of it was bad. It was like, he doesn't use his head, you know, this dude's relentless, but I mean, moral of the story, he went out there and freaking raced his, you know, what off without giving up. And I was like, Oh, okay. Now I see why I'm stubborn and hard-headed because I got way too many of his genes. Well, I mean, that that was just it. it. When you rolled up on the line and it was you and Donnie, you knew you weren't getting a giving. He wasn't going to yeah. give it to you. Oh, you know, no. He was going to go down fighting and swinging the whole time. And he was always a great guy, though. I only seen him get angry a couple of times. And you could instantly get him out of that by, hey, Donnie, how are you? And he'd turn right around, smile and wave. Hey, what's going on? Yeah. And he's trying to kill somebody because they ran him off the track or this happened or that happened. But always, always a gentleman, always the the guy that you could count on to be there for you. Um, I think everybody in the racing knew that. Uh, and a fierce competitor. I mean, you got in his way. I mean, I'm sure that more than once people ended up in the cheap seats. Oh yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've heard some stories. I've heard some, I think he tries to hide more stories from me and my brother than, um, than he, you know, tells us, but I, I've seen him at a, a few times, mainly when I was giving an attitude to him in middle school. But other than that, like, yeah, I mean, he's a fierce competitor I would not want to be on his bad side. That's all I'm going to say. But he is. Everyone that I know loves him. He, I'm sure he has haters. We all have haters. But he has so many. He definitely has a following. I know so many people that drive from Florida, Alabama, just to buy a motorcycle from him just because of the relationship, which he has taught me a lot about just, you know, building relationships with people. I do medical sales full time. and you know, you can be a salesman or you can, I mean, I guess you can be a salesman and build relationships, but the relationships you build with people are so much more important than just selling a product. Authenticity. Authenticity. Yes. I mean, if you're real with people, the real, the more you are real, the more (laughs) sales you will get. And it may not be instantaneous. Oh no. Later, You know, you may be a broadcaster, and they may call you up going, hey, do you still do that? Mm-hmm. Because you built that relationship with them and you were genuine and they want to deal with somebody genuine. Right. You know, I'm old school. You can obviously tell by the white hair. 
but when I get on the but, phone, hey, I have I have white hair and I'm hadn't hit thirty yet. Well, I've been that's thanks hair. to Donnie. That's his side, his side of the family. Well, what then you're not totally white, so you don't got anything. Okay, right I, I'm a girl too, so I can color. Yeah, you know what my kids told me to do that when I was turning white, and I was like, why? I, honestly, I think I told my dad that too. I was like, you know, they have those things you just comb it straight through, but you just embrace it. Well, well yeah, why not? Uh, this is yeah. me. This is who I am. You know, yeah. what's the big deal? Honest, yeah. if we're being completely honest, I thought yours was blonde from over here. Uh, it's the it's the lighting, but it's, okay, okay, it's as well, white as the wall behind you. Okay, well, I thought it was blonde, so you're you're <laughs> fooling me. No, it's okay. Uh, when I was younger, I was it was that color blonde. Oh, really? Like a toehead? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. I'm but it, it is. It was just what it was. Uh-huh. Um, how did you decide that you wanted to get into broadcasting? So I've always been straight up tomboy, like motorcycles, football, all those kind of things. Very into sports, athletics. And I went to school at Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, And I was going to be a public relations major. I was taking public relations classes, but they were in the journalism school. And so it was pretty easy to double major in public relations and broadcast journalism. So I was like, hey, why not? Didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time. And I had some guys that were sports reporters and they wanted a girl sports reporter. So I tried out, made it my senior year, second semester. So right before I'm about to graduate, I start doing broadcast journalism, which is way late in the game. Um, and then after, um, college, I've been doing football. I've been doing contract work for ESPN and my dream of all dreams is Supercross, if we're being completely honest. And I've always been scared to jump into it. But this year, I'm jumping into it. And I've done Motocar Fight Club. I'm not sure if you heard about that, but it was on Fight TV. It was guys like Jeremy McGrath, Grant Langston, just some of the guys in the industry where they race dirt cars. It was pretty cool. It was awesome. And I loved every second of it. And I was like, Oh, I have to find out how to do more of this. And so then from there, I um, did something called Bagger Racing League, which was also on Fight TV. And it's where it's basically they're taking Indians and Harleys, big old baggers, and they're racing them. And I'm going to be the reporter for that league, which I just did the last race of the year. And they're about to announce... um, another race coming up soon this summer. So I'm super excited to get back into that and just maybe get some more moto sports under my belt um, and try to step out of football. I do love football, but I mean, a lot of girls want to do football, you know? How does your upbringing in motorsports help you with the motorsports broadcasting? Well, not only do I, I mean, when you grow up in it, you know everything about it. You know all the riders. You know how the bikes work. How I mean, you know how the track works. And not only that, I actually ride too, which I think kind of sets me apart. 
and just actually understanding what it takes to be a professional, what these guys go through. I just feel like I have more of an inside perspective on the whole thing. Plus, not to mention, I'm super passionate about it. Um, I think just growing up literally in the industry, I mean, when my dad owned two racetracks, I think we were at races almost every weekend. Um, and just being in at the races, understanding how everything works and just having a passion for the sport and knowing how, I mean, motocross is on the big scale of things. It's not close to football, right? But the people that are in the industry, a lot of times they don't leave. Once you're in the industry and you understand it and you're a part of it, you it's hard to get out. It's addicting. And so it's just something that I'm one of those people. I grew up in the industry. I can't think of getting out of the industry or not being in the industry. You know, At this age, I'm like, all right, if I want to do something about this, I got to do it now because... I'm always going to have the feelings towards, you know, motorsports and being at a race. And you know, the feeling when you're at a race, the adrenaline starts pumping. I don't know. It's just something it's hard to explain, but it's definitely, it's a cool sport. And a lot of people, I feel bad that they don't understand, you know, or have never been to it, but it's a cool sport. Once you get in, it's, it's freaking addicting. It's hard to get out. My youngest Valeria, my wife's youngest daughter, uh-huh. been in an off-road vehicle. Uh-huh. So last December, the December before last, we my brother's birthday's on the 19th, so they scheduled a little trip where we all got to go to Glamis. And um, I borrowed uh, Randy at GPR's uh, Yamaha UTV. Uh-huh. And we went out there. And the only instruction I got out of Randy was, hey, don't roll my car. I built his car. So, uh-huh. you know, okay, if I roll it, I can fix it. Well, the first thing, she's never been in a UTV. She's never been on an ATV. The first ride, first day, we rolled the car. Oh, gosh. And she never quit smiling. I was about to say, it either scared her or she loved it. She had scared her and she loved it. Uh-huh. She she wouldn't ride with me the rest of the weekend, but she got she to ride with it. one of our good friends, Brian, and in his uh in his Honda, his Talon. And uh-huh. we had a blast that weekend. And she can't wait to go back again and do it. My wife, on the other hand, had never been to an ATV race. Uh-huh. And I took her that earlier that year to to two races. And she's like, Yeah, you I'll go, but I don't really want to go. Right. Right. That's <laughs> so, what my mom, I don't know how, but she's so, she's like, I don't want to go to another race again. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like once you, I don't, I mean, I guess some people enjoy it. Some people don't, but my mom had, I think my mom has, you know, she's a little bitter towards the industry just because of my dad being an idiot. I think sometimes I know when I was born, my dad had a pager. He was at Loretta's, not with my mom. When my brother was born, he was wheeled in on a hospital bed, I think with like two broken ankles or something. So she's had to deal with nursing him. And I'm sure he talked about on the podcast. He just had 
13 surgeries or something in the last year at age how at 64, not trying to age him, but he's old and still racing. And my mom's the one that has to put up with it. So I think that's why she uh, has a love hate relationship with the track. You know, my daughter cannot stand the ATV industry, cannot stand racing. Uh-huh. And when she married her husband, Jason, he didn't race. He was came out of the military, became a wildland fire for, uh, firefighter. And, but his dad was in the, uh, the sprint cars and somehow it worked out. He got a ride and now he races. Oh gosh. She's living it all over again with her husband. <laughs> I missed more birthdays and more kid functions because I was races. out of town. Mm-hmm. I was at a race, you know? Yeah. Uh, always on the weekend. That's, that's, um, one thing I say that, uh, I'm single and I say that I will not marry anyone that I can do it. And I don't think it's dumb, but I'm like, nah, a racer, not going to happen. You say that until you, I say, I know I say that, but also I'm like, my kids aren't going to ride. Okay. Let's be honest. They definitely are hundred percent. But I say, I say all this now in hindsight. Well, when you're not a parent, you always make decisions for your children beforehand that you can't, you can't, you can't make that decision. Right. Right. You know, uh, I wish I would have made some different decisions with my son because he has some injuries from some of the stupid things I did that I let him do. Right. You know, and I think, oh, it's okay for me to hurt like that, but I don't want him to hurt like that. Yeah. My, see, my dad was really cool about letting us if we wanted a part of it, we could. My brother wanted nothing to do with it. Now I low-key get mad at my dad. I'm like, Dad, because see, I retired at age four from racing. I won age a, four. I was four years old. That's when I, I I legitimately went up to my dad and told him that I was retiring after I won a um freestyle competition at the Georgia State Fair. And then I retired. I did, I think, a heel clicker. It was really intense. But um, so I retired at age four. But now looking back, I'm like, Dad, why don't you have me race in trucks or cars? Like I, I have the mentality. I have his same personality and drive and just... I have that bulldog, like relentless mentality. I'm like, Dad, if I had raced cars or trucks... Now I really think I I would have loved it. And so I do get mad at my dad for that. I'm like, you should have made me do something like this. But back then I feel like it wasn't that we just I don't know, we were never a part of that whole world. But I know like Jeremy McGrath's daughters, they're racing trucks. Um, there was like Larry Pegram, his daughter's racing go-karts. Like just there were some there's some guys that their kids are racing trucks, go-karts, and I low-key wish that I was doing that. But I think it's too late to jump on that train now. So I'll do, I'll do the broadcasting from the outside, you know? But That's the closest I can get. But you've ridden motorcycles off and on your whole life. Oh, yeah. Like, I still race every... Uh, not race. I still ride every time I go home. I'm the one child. My brother, he's smart. Like, my mom doesn't want anything to do with it. But me, on the other hand, 
any chance I get, I'm I'm on a motorcycle. He didn't ride at all. He he rode, but he really didn't race. Like he wanted, he did not want anything to do with it. Wow. Like maybe race to 65, maybe, but never seriously competitive. Like no, when we had races at our track, but me on the other hand, like if my dad would have let me race, I probably would have raced. No four wheelers though. Only motorcycles. No, we never. So my mom hates four wheelers for obvious reasons, I guess. <laughs> and she always used to say that a four wheeler follows you when you crash. It'll like, I don't know, follow you. Whereas two wheels, she said was less dangerous. So we always grew up just on two wheels. Even when we had a four wheeler at the house, just to ride around in the backyard, my mom was always psycho about put on a helmet, put on a helmet, which I get, but you know, a lot of friends that are going hunting on their folders, they never wear helmets, you know? So we were always like, mom, why are you being so uptight? It's a folder. She doesn't like them though. Wow. That, that one's hard to, that one's hard to swallow a little bit because I mean, your dad is a four wheeler icon. I've never been on a legitimate race ATV. Never. Does he even have them at the shop? No. I mean, he has like those Raptors and that kind of stuff, but he doesn't have any of his... I've never even seen one of his ATVs. I guess they're all non-existent now. I'm not really sure. I've seen some helmets. but And then I, I was around like some... There were some guys that were younger, like Dustin Wimmer, Pat Brown. I don't know if you know any of those guys. Oh, yeah. But I remember watching them race. So I've seen some ATV racing. I remember like Doug Gus, Shane Hitt. I've seen all them race because they were still racing when I guess I was, I don't know how old I was. You were little. But I remember seeing them race ATVs, but I've never seen my dad or have never been on an actual race ATV. Wow. You need to check that out. I know. I would love it. I would probably be an idiot. I would probably, my dad tells me, um, I'm not allowed to leave the ground currently. I'm on restrictions because I'm going to kill myself if I like I'm full throttle. He was telling me the other day about when I uh, rode for the first time, I was two and a half on an Indian. And have you ever been to our paradise? It was a track we had. So we had a track paradise and the driveway to the track was miles long. And so my dad puts me on this little Indian and I'm literally two and a half, almost three years old. And he, I, there was definitely a governor on it, I think. But he said that I just took off. And so he started running after me because he thought I was going to like go all the way to the street and didn't know if I knew how to turn around on my own. So he took off after me, couldn't catch me. And he said that I just turned around by myself and just flew straight past him and, lo and looked at him like he was an idiot. Like, what are you doing? And just kept going right past him. But ever since then, that's how I am on a motorcycle. I just I jump on and think that I'm a professional and I'm not at all. That's <laughs> too funny. That is too funny. Not. I, I like that. Well, if you ever make it out to the West Coast, you have to come and stop by and we'll put you, we'll, we'll let you ride one of the race bikes. I, I would still have a love few. it. 
do you have you still have some yep they're the, the modern four strokes but i still have some i feel and, like i know how to turn and everything i've seen i've definitely seen videos of my dad turning and i think it's hilarious because he's so he is tall and lanky and i'm like he looks honestly a little uncomfortable on an atv i'm like i don't know but i think i could i think i could handle it maybe no jumping but i can handle an atv <laughs> at least you're not scared to try right oh there's a lot of things that i'm not scared to try that i probably should be but you know you mentioned that that you did some stuff with espn uh-huh and and it was that college football so yeah, college football. Um, I'm mainly there's a school called Mercer in Macon, and I'm like their contract reporter. So I might still do some stuff this year. Um, and I really do. I enjoy it a lot. Does it pay well? I mean, not like medical devices. That's why I sell medical devices. Okay. Well. <laughs> but you know, I'll I'll sell medical devices as long as I need to, and then. Um, maybe, maybe full-time broadcast. I just, you know, it's one of those things that you can't be scared to fail. You just have to jump all in and freaking go for it. And there, I'm still getting to that point. Did you, do you, or did you take any type of class preparing you for getting behind the mic and talking? I know that you said that you tried out on, on your second semester, your senior year. But did you, how do you prepare for that? There were probably maybe two classes that I took. And honestly, the best experience I have had is, has been the football games just because it's live. So you're thrown in, you can't hear anything going on. You have people talking in your ear and you're just thrown on camera and it's live. And if you mess up, you better keep going. You know what I mean? But that's, the best experience and where I've learned the most versus I took one multimedia class where we went out, interviewed people. We could sit there and record it 15 times, go back and edit it and make it into a package. So honestly, the best live experience I got in college was doing sports reporting because we had a show um, that was live. And then after that has been the ESPN stuff because once again, it's live and it's kind of something that I've just learned on the fly. And, you know, you take constructive criticism and take people's tips and try to get better. But other than that, I'm just kind of going for it. Not too much uh, schooling, I guess. You, you mentioned that you got to talk to Ricky Carmichael and Jeremy McGrath. Did you talk to either one of them about broadcasting? Because they've both done it. Okay, yes. So um Ricky Carmichael actually haven't so he I didn't he wasn't I just saw him on a podcast talking about my dad, but I was at A1 this year. Um and I actually went up to him and told him, like, hey, like I'm trying to do this. Um and he would definitely, he's a really awesome guy. Like he would definitely help me out. I just need a little more, a little more experience, I think. Um, and I think this bagger racing league is going to help with that just because, I mean, it's hard going from football to, it's just really different actually, you know, going from football to a motorsport, but 
I'm hoping this bagger racing league is going to help me build some confidence in the motorsports industry. And then, and then I'll start uh, asking some people for some help. You mentioned before we started taping about your accent and you have to work. No, not at all. Okay, good. But you have to, I can tell where you're from because of the way you enunciate your words, but that's nothing that to me, that's normal. Right. But you mentioned that you try to push your accent down or whatever, however you want to call it. Uh, did, did somebody come to you and tell you you needed to do this? Or was it yeah. something that, that you work on just because? I had an agent tell me um, one time who was from New York up north um, that... It may not be true, but a steep Southern accent does come off as uneducated. So that is forever stuck to, stuck with me. And I've tried to cut out the y'alls um, and talk a little faster. I don't need to talk too fast, but if I really slow down... Then I'll get really Southern. Like my mom is the most Southern, sweetest little Southern belle. And she talks so slow. So I'm like, if I just talk fast, which isn't great in broadcast, then I'm like, no one will ever notice where I'm from. And I get, I live in Texas now. I get sometimes, where are you from? Are you from somewhere in the South? But other than that, I think it's not too noticeable. Well, doesn't most of Texas have an accent too? So it's different. I don't know what it is, but mine definitely does stand out here. I, I mean, I've been asked a few times, like, where you're from. So, I mean, I'm not sure. I thought they did, too, until I moved here. Like, Arkansas, Alabama, Southern accents all day. Georgia, mine's, like, right in between, I think. In between a Texas and a Alabama, Arkansas one. And Florida doesn't have that accent. I don't think Florida has an accent at all. That's so odd. Isn't it weird? Florida and the people in Florida too, they don't have the they don't have the same southern food. I mean, I guess they have seafood, but it's almost like it's not in the south to me. What is your favorite southern dish? Oh gosh. The, oh, you could, could I could talk about this all day. Um do you want to know something really country that I used to do? That uh, yeah, different? that's what I asked. Okay, have you ever heard of yellow label syrup? Yellow I don't even know the yellow label syrup. No. I don't even know the true name for it, but it was honestly it was like corn syrup or something. Not really, but it's this really thick syrup. It's not maple syrup. You pour it on a plate, and then you get butter from the tub a tub of butter and you mix the syrup and the butter together and you dip a biscuit a homemade biscuit has to be homemade biscuit with bacon or country ham and you dip it in the butter and the yellow label syrup and it is chef's kiss to die for but it is so unhealthy. And the fact that I don't have some kind of like diabetes is a miracle from what I grew up on. Sweet tea. Oh, sweet tea. They don't have it in Texas. It's very rare. Chick-fil-A, Chicken Express has it, but it's impossible to find sweet tea here, which who would have thought? Well, you, they can do ice tea. 
you can find it here in Southern California. Really? Well, yep. maybe I need to come out there because it is so hard to find it here. I actually just found a Mexican restaurant that has it. So it's like my new favorite place to go to. <laughs> Steve, the, the, your, your Southern is oozing out right on right, right here on the podcast. When you get me talking about food, I get really passionate. I love food. Um, yeah, I love unhealthy food. I've had to train myself. My metabolism has started slowing down. So I've had to kind of retrain what I've uh, grown up eating. But I love Southern, any kind of Southern food, chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits. Oh my gosh. Grit. Have you had grits before? Yes. Okay, good. Grits are really good. I actually had some. Yes. Saturday for brunch. They're, they're good. I didn't know that you lived in Texas. I didn't know that you lived that far away from your, your family. Yeah. It's shocking. Honestly, I, when I lived in Atlanta, I went home all the time and it's so hard because I can never go home and ride. That's honestly the hardest part is not being able to call my dad, but Hey, let's go ride this weekend. So, um, yeah, that's hard. You don't live that but, far away. How, how long does it take to drive home? Well, I have to fly home. It's like a 12, 13 hour drive. Mm-hmm. So I usually fly home. Um, but yeah, I already have a, my dad just got a new gas gas motorcycle that I'm super pumped about. So I've already locked down. We're riding Atlanta Supercross weekend the Sunday after, which I'm super excited about. So you're just going to go ride his red KTM? Yeah, basically. It used to be a KTM. It was... He did have a KTM 450. I wonder if he still has it. I don't know. I just like the... I like the gas gas because not that many people are riding it. I'm pumped. Have you seen it? Yep. His looks good. He has it. He has it all. He has I'm, it a all. Die, I'm a diehard Honda guy. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. He he used to be... That was him, Honda, all day. He's been on a KTM kick, though, lately. Well, the pictures that I've seen, because I've seen him on social media, uh-huh. most of it's been with a KTM. Bless you. Bless you that you follow him on social media. Yeah. KTM has been... It's been KTM for a while. Or just whatever's readily available at the shop. That's kind of what I always go for. <laughs> well, you know, everybody asks me, do you own a quad? Well, technically I do. But uh-huh. mine is in pieces when everybody else's is together. Yeah. You know, do, you so take, I, do you take uh, parts from yours to use on other ones? or Yeah. 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 Yes, I do. All the time. So then I have to search through my vast parts pile and find the pieces that I need to then put back on mine or buy new because I couldn't wait the time to, because I was building something for somebody and I was impatient. So I just took it off mine and, and put it on the other machine. So how hard is it to find parts for ATVs right now? The 450 R's that I build mostly the uh-huh. Honda. Uh, re- readily, most of it's available for the 06 up models. Uh, the 0405 models, there's a little harder to get some of the engine components. Mm-hmm. Um, your 250Rs, like what your dad raced, um, LT500s, LT250s, it's very difficult because A, they don't make the OEM parts anymore. Uh-huh. So you have to find good used or somebody hoarding old stock, which believe it or not, you're thinking, 
people have old stock. Yeah, people have brand new parts in the package that they've been holding on to for 30 years. That's crazy. I'm sure there's some Facebook group or something that you there's can... quite a few. Yeah, that quite you can kind of ask. You, you, can, you can hunt down. And I believe I would have to do a little bit of... I'd have to make a few phone calls, but I believe there's a guy that has one of your dad's old machines. May oh, not be completely restored, but it's in... You still knows, know whose machine it was. That would be awesome. I want to see it. I, I, I have to go and make some phone calls and some send some messages because uh-huh. I've, I've seen it on social media. Uh, wow. That would be so cool. I, that would be cool. I have the Indian that I learned to ride on. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but he just put it. So he just became an Indian dealer. And so he put um, the Indian I learned to ride on. It's in like a glass. Uh, I don't know, whatever it's called. A like a, yeah, a glass showcase in the uh, dealership. It's really cool. But I told my dad, I'm like, all right, when I have a house, this is going in my house. <laughs> we'll see if he lets me. We're trying to get the podcast to go um, mobile. Okay. And what we want to do is, is we've done some press conferences at a few events on the West Coast. Uh-huh. And we're trying to get to uh, the East Coast and other places uh, so that we can, you know, touch other people in the industry. Um, and I want to go to places like your dad's shop and, you know, that would be awesome. Just sit people down and love that. Well, yeah. It, it, if you do it on a, like on a Saturday, cause it's a big day. I could have a big open house or just something. Do a little corner booth, sit down and have a conversation. So his fans and his customers can watch him be the limelight again. Uh, you know, things like that. We're, that's what we're shooting for. Obviously, you know, and everything in, in media, it all costs money. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything costs money. Oh, yeah. It's just that would be awesome, though. That would be really cool. If you ever do it, you have to let me know. I'll have to make a trip back for it. Well, if we did it, we, there would be months. It'd be take months to plan it. Oh, and, yeah. And we would, uh, you know, we're, we're trying everything. And, and the reason I get so, why I'm questioning you so much on your broadcasting is because I'm not. I'm not technically the media person. I may be sitting on this side of the of the mic talking to you, but I'm a professional race mechanic. I'm not a. I I don't do this, and and, um, I love the conversation. I was about to say it's all about knowing what you're talking about and the relationships, and if you can talk about what something you're passionate about with someone else, I feel like it's you got it. Not much to it. Well, the story is is the most thing. And like bringing you on. Yeah, I wanted to talk about your broadcasting and promote Donnie's daughter. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to hear what it was like because I've gotten no one from the ATV world's child or children to come and sit down with me and talk to me what it was like to be that person. Because I'm I'm seeing your dad in a different light than you do. Right. I wish there, I wish he was, I wish he was racing now. Cause imagine all the video footage and everything, social media that you have. I've seen a couple videos. Like there's a video of him racing Jimmy White that I've seen. 
I've seen a video of him in Japan racing. But other than that, I mean, there's not all the this video and social media from back in his day. Because I would, I would love to go back in the day and watch him race. I would love it. Well, that brings me to this. What I one of the things that we do on the podcast, and I and I forget sometimes to do it, but we have a segment called Ask Leonard. So if you email hello at atvtalkpodcast.com, you can ask me a question. And then what I will do is I will answer that question on the air, telling everybody who asked it. And hopefully I will get a response from either the individual that you're asking the question of uh-huh. or myself, whatever it is. So like if somebody emails me a question for you, I would ask you the question and then I would read it on air for that individual, you know, telling everybody that who asked the question. And, um, it's just a way to relate to, to get people involved. Mm-hmm. One of the problems we have is I will air this podcast probably 30 to 45 days after we take it. Uh-huh. Which I think that's kind of a common thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, see, I didn't know anything about any podcast. No, right. I didn't know anything about anything. Uh, I mean, writing a story. I didn't. I knew I didn't want to write. Me neither. I'm the same way. Well, I have to write uh, shows uh-huh. or segments that we do for the news. So I have to go and do a bunch of research and do the news, which I'm sure you know all about this because you had to learn about this, right? Right. So, and when you write for broadcast, it's so different than just writing out a story, too. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes you 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 write something and then you'll go to say it or talk about it, and it's not how you had it planned at all. <laughs> You're like, wait, uh, wait, I don't, I don't talk like that. This doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So you have to go back and redo it and mm-hmm. and and learn. So I'm learning all of these things as well. So it's all, it's all new and it's nice to talk to somebody that's not judgmental about it uh-huh. because you, uh, you're experiencing everything that I'm experiencing and I'm not, I, I don't, I don't have a problem. You want to go talk about ATVs? Okay. Line up. Let's go to a stadium with a hundred thousand people. Let's just talk. Let's have yeah. a, a conversation. You want to talk about irrigation? Okay. We're in trouble. We better get yeah. because I'm in, I'm not your guy, right, um, right, and and that's that's you know just how we do things, you know. And um, I love talking about ATVs. I really enjoyed having your dad on. Uh, I can't this, wait to listen to his podcast. This will air after okay your, your dad's show. Um, uh, we didn't uh, talk about it be, during his podcast. You came up after the fact uh, because you'll probably realize that when we get done taping, there's a conversation that happens afterwards. Okay. And I should tape every one of them, but I don't. Yeah. All the good stuff. As soon as the camera, you know, shuts off, that's when all the good stuff comes out. Usually. Usually. But <laughs> I would say 50% of it's non, non-usable because yeah. you, can't, yeah. you can't talk about that subject or you can't air that story, you know. Right. And um uh, I don't know you. You being in in broadcasting, there's yes and no conversation pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just things you can't talk about, right? Well, I don't really have any restrictions. 
other than I want to keep it ATV related. And right. maybe not everybody's going to think this conversation is, is ATV related, but it is because we're talking about the podcast. We're talking about ATVs. We're talking about things that are happening and, and broadcasting. And, and basically that's what I'm doing is broadcast. Right. Exactly. So I have another question for you. Okay. Let's hear it. You got to do any podcast stuff yourself where you get to sit down and, and, and be involved. No, I have not. And it's actually something that I really want to do. I just, Medical sales is very demanding of my time, if we're being completely honest. Um, And I know it's just an excuse, as my dad would say. But I have thought about a podcast. And I'm the same way with you. The reason that I even like broadcasts, honestly, I don't like being in front of the camera. It's taken me getting used to. But I like the stories. So with football, um, I actually did this thing called Senior Bowl. And it's basically all-star it's an all-star college game so you have some of the best guys in college their senior year they get invited to this game in mobile alabama before the nfl draft well you hear about all these guys there's so many stories i could tell but you hear about so these guys that are just making millions of dollars playing football but what you don't hear are the stories um, one of my favorites that I'm going to share real quick is Malcolm Mitchell, which honestly, he's not playing, I don't think anymore, but he played at Georgia and then he went on to play. He got drafted by the Patriots, but he, um, he was, he was illiterate. He was embarrassed in college. Um, reading out loud, you know how they kind of, I mean, they're classes of like 500 people and they sometimes make you read out loud. So he went to Barnes and Noble and when he was there, he was just going to get a book to practice. So he'd be better at reading out loud. He met this group of women, like 50 year old women. And he joined a book club, a book club with them. So you have this call, this college athlete who's what? 19 years old who has nothing in common with these 50 year old like tennis moms. Okay. So picture this and every week he goes to their house and he's in their book club. And then now he's an author. He has like turned around and written a book and he donates a lot of his time to teaching kids and reading to kids who are less fortunate and I guess are illiterate. But I think that's one of the coolest stories ever. And there's a, there's so many stories like that. So many of those guys have crazy stories, but you never hear about it. You just hear about these guys that make millions throwing a football, you know? But a lot of them, they've sacrificed something to get to where they are. They've... I mean, it hasn't been all Skittles and rainbows for everyone. I mean, for the most part, even people you know who know people, you have to work hard to get to where you are. No one has an easy route. Well, even in broadcasting, your in is your dad's knowledge. And these people know your dad. So somebody's going to know you or know of him. And right. you're going to get a, you're going to get a call at some point. You just have to be prepared for that day. Exactly. And I s- still have to work hard. I right. mean, I can I can get the opportunity, and if I mess it up, then 
on to the next, you know, there's always someone else waiting for your position. You've got to be, you have to work hard. My dad always told me, um, like when working out, I work out at 5am in the morning because that's the only time I have really to work out. I can't, if I, if I wait till after work, it probably won't happen. And he always used to tell me growing up is when you're not doing something, your competition is. So if I'm sitting on the couch, someone that wants my job, they're probably working hard for it. You know what I mean? Like you can take time off and you can do this, but just realize when you are, someone else is working hard for something that you want. So exactly. Exactly. You know, the, the, the podcast, you know, there are numerous other people doing something to promote our industry. Mm-hmm. We have to have our ducks in a row. We have to get the information. You know, I have to, when I tape uh, intro videos, I have to actually think about what I'm going to talk about instead of just sitting down and push and play because right. it doesn't work. Um, and, and my biggest problem is I'm, I am a wing it. Yep. Total wing it. You know, yep. I don't have a script, you know, you've seen the notepad before we started, there's right. nothing on it. You know, I knew your dad, I knew what your dad said about you. And I seen some photos of you actually broadcasting. Actually, I watched one little 10 okay. second video, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, all right, good. We, there's a, con- there's a conversation here can be had. Right. Because I know enough about the starting of the conversation to get going. Mm-hmm. And that's all it takes for me. And then I, it just flows. Well, you talked for what? Right. 20 minutes of the first portion of it. Yeah. And, and now I'm a, I'm a talker though. Yes. Sometimes yeah. you do have to work for it. I will say that doing interviews. And, and uh, I don't disagree with that. And I'm talking more than I like to talk. Right. But I knew going in this, we were going to have a back and forth conversation because that was my intent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted to have a back and forth with you because you do something that I admire. You know, that is how many, you know, 20, 30,000 people in the stands. A lot. You know, you don't want to think about it. Well, when I, to me, it's me and the camera guy. If, <laughs> if you ask me to go stand in a stadium and talk, make a public speech, no way. No way. But if you ask me to do sideline reporting at a football game, no one's paying attention to me. I'm not on the big screen. I'm on TV. So it's me, a camera guy, and a camera. And it's so loud. And so it's it's just me talking is what I feel like. You know what I mean? Like I'm not... But public speaking? No, thank you. No. I hate that so much. I love talking about ATVs. So the bigger the crowd, the better. Hey, you need to... That's why we need to take this thing on the road. I agree. It's got to... Races. Oh. You want to have shows. At Supercross... In Dallas this weekend, ATV got their own little. There were two brothers, and now I'm not going to know. Digging who deep. They were. Who? Digging deep. The Jansen brothers. Cody Maybe. Jansen. Yep. Young, young yep. guys. Yeah, yep. they they talked for 
a good solid five minutes about ATVs and racing. I thought it was awesome because I honestly, I sent my dad a text. I was like, they're talking about quads because I've never been to a supercross in the past. I've never been to a supercross where they talked about quads or had ATV racers up there talking. So it was actually kind of awesome. Well, we've been around long enough that my dad used to, you probably don't know who this is. I know you know who this is. Ricky Johnson. Uh Uh-huh. My dad used to build bikes for Ricky when he was a kid. Really? When he was a factory Yamaha rider, they were having some problems with one of his engines and they brought the parts to my dad to work on. That's awesome. So we've been around forever. forever. One of my dad's uh, racers raced against Jeff Ward. Uh Uh-huh. So all of that, all of it ties in with one another. Um, cause I was born into this. See, and you're still into it. It's a thing. It's I a love thing. It. I, I, I mean, I, it, the hardest thing is not going to the races, but the best thing at this point in time in my life is limited races. Yeah. Because, you know, I spent 30 years of my life being gone. At a racetrack. Yeah. Exactly. I think there's, di- there's different stages of life. Oh, totally. Go through phases. Totally. I am, I am trying to build a media company uh-huh. that I never thought I would be doing anything media. Um, this never, all, never. This all started because I was trying to promote a, a prepping business, a business that would prep race machines aside mm-hmm. from working for my brother at his company. And which his company is the company that my dad started. And there's a whole backstory of why I'm not a partner, but it doesn't matter. Brother owns it. And, and I work there and I have for over 30 years and I worked for my dad before that. And it's, and it's, and it's awesome. And I wouldn't want to do anything else. Um, but I want to do side work where I prep, prep race machines and go to the races with them. So that's how ATV talk actually started. That's awesome. I love that. Well, I was talking with Paula, who owns an advertising agent agency uh-huh. in Guadalajara, who's my wife's oldest daughter and my daughter now, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's all into social media and how it all works. And social I mentioned, I mentioned a podcast, and here we are. I love it. And oh, how many how many ATV podcasts are there? I'm sure there's other, but there can't be that many. To my knowledge, there's two mainstays mm-hmm. with a couple um, startup maybe that, mm-hmm. that that I don't think that they have gotten off the ground really. Um, you do research, and I can't find any. Um, mm-hmm. I can't even find the episodes for the ones that I've heard about. Um, so I don't know where they are. Um, I'm not saying, if you can't find them, a lot of people probably can't. Not, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to knock the guys that are just trying to start it. Um, mm-hmm. Digging Deep, the Jansen podcast, uh, we're totally different. He focuses a lot on motocross, uh-huh. uh, with some history of the motocross guys and the, and the nationals. And I focus on the industry itself with everybody. That's what you find your niche and market yourself as that. And then that's what people know you for. 
I just want to talk about ATVs. I don't care if it's mm-hmm. we're racing them in the parking lot or, you know, we strapped a turtle to our back and that's, you know, I mean, it, it's, it, it is what it is. Um, we've just opened ourselves up into motorsports. Okay. Because, uh, actually tomorrow I will be talking to Sheldon Creed who drives the number two in the Xfinity series. That's cool. And, and the backstory on that is he used to drive trophy carts in Southern California. And I got to be a part of that. Did you used to build uh, trophy carts too? I didn't drill the carts, but we got to do the motors for a number of years for quite a few of these young men. That's cool. And, and Sheldon was one of them and he was super talented, Mm -hmm. super talented driver. You know, that's awesome. So I know know a bunch of motorcycle people and, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to branch off into those guys as well. Different avenues, yeah. Yeah, I just want to, because it's all tied together. Right. It, there, most people overlap in the different, different specific industries, I feel like. Exactly. What I want to do is I want you to get more into the broadcasting and I want you to come back and tell me about it. I will. When I'm a big deal and people actually know me as Kristen Banks, not Donnie Banks's daughter, I'll come back on the podcast. <laughs> Please. I, 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 I know that you're going to make it because I think that you have a spark to you and people are going to be gravitate to that. Well, thank you so much. That's a compliment. Oh, you, you have energy and energy attracts energy. And, and I think that you'll be great at it. That's my, my bio on Instagram is be a light in the darkness. I try to bring joy to every room I walk into. Well, There's a lot of people have a lot of stuff going on and you never know who's having a bad day. So I try to just walk in with a smile on my face. I'm still alive, right? <laughs> that's kind of what it's all about, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly. But I also I also have the motto my dad has of, you know, just live every day like it's your last. It's true because you. I mean, you no never guarantee. know. Like when people think that I'm crazy for doing half the stuff I do, I'm like, hey, you never know if you know morbid. But if something happens, at least I'm doing something I love. You know, instead of sitting on a couch watching TV, I'm exactly. out riding, having fun. Exactly. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. 
Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.